I've been asking you tonight about plant-based meat because I noticed of late um, that there has been less of it. We talk about it less. We're hearing about it less. It doesn't mean that fewer people aren't making different choices about what they eat, but it turns out um, that the industry itself is going through a bit of a, well, you could pardon the pun, uh, uh, some growing pains, some growing pains these days. A lot of big names jumped into the plant-based meat space a couple of years ago. There were uh, IPOs, there were celebrity endorsements, uh, even some of the big companies, big meat companies actually were moving in thinking this was going to happen and happen fast. And as it turned out, it didn't or it isn't happening quite as fast as people expected at first. And there are certainly some reasons behind that. Um, You know, the allure was meant to be wide. That was sort of the issue. It wasn't just for vegans and so on. It was meant to be for a lot of folks out there. Flexitarians, they call them. You know, tasty, but better for you, better for your wallet, better for the planet. Sort of the the trifecta there when it came to plant-based meat. Uh, But sales flatlined a bit in 2020. They dropped last year, at least in the U.S. Uh, Big names, again, like McDonald's, decided against making the was it called the McPLT? <laughs> the plant burger, um, the McPlant burger. Uh, decided against making it a permanent menu item. So has it lost its sizzle? If so, why? Will it grow again? To help us with all those questions, Julian McClements is a distinguished professor in the Department of Food Science at the University of Massachusetts. He's an expert on this stuff. Uh, he, he knows all about the science of it as well. And he joins us now to tell us all about it. Thanks for your time. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. This has been an interesting topic because I see people talking about it all of a sudden, and I'm wondering what what exactly is going on. The, the I, I you know the headlines are always you know plant based meats lose their sizzle. I guess is the pun. Uh, is that true? Uh, I think a, a little bit. I think there's a few companies like Beyond Meat have um, been laying a f- uh, people off, and I think a, a lot of it's related to the uh, economy. Uh, you know, and pe- these products are still quite expensive, so I think you know people have, are more reluctant to buy them. Yeah, I, I guess therein lies some of the issues, right? One is um, price point. Uh, at this point, I guess the big sale was that it would be at least cost relative to the real thing, but so far it hasn't been. Why is that? Yeah, I think it's just it's just challenging to put these things together. I think there's you know lots of different ingredients that you have to you know isolate from nature. You have to purify, um, and then you have to combine them together to make these products. So I think at the moment there's still a lot of you know science towards optimi- reducing the cost of, of these products. I gather that part of the problem too is sort of a, we've seen a universal jump in the price of some of the main components, right? Soybeans, peas, grains, everything is up because of various supply chain issues in the war in Ukraine. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think um, Ukraine and Russia are two of the biggest suppliers of things like soybeans and wheat and things like and sunflowers, which are important ingredients in these foods. What um, what 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 else are we seeing? This do we have a lot of consumers who sort of try? Because I remember it was very popular when it first happened. And there seemed to be a lot of buzz around it, but I guess people tried it and thought, "I'll take a step back." Yeah, I think that's one of the challenges is, you know, if you look at how many people are vegans or vegetarians, it's growing, but it's still a very small part of the population, probably less than 5% of the population. So 95% of the people still want foods that taste like real meat. And I think it's really challenging to make those from plant-based ingredients. So when people try them, they haven't got the right mouthfeel or the flavor profile. So I think it's it's a work in progress at the moment. 
Uh, what about the health benefits themselves? Because I've been reading that, um, you know, oftentimes there are a lot of ingredients in plant-based meat and sometimes, and I, I gather the meat industry has been doing their best to point this out too, um, but there are some questions about the health benefits of, of plant-based meat, at least what's out there so far. Yeah, I think people often assume that if you switch to a plant-based diet, it's healthier for you, but I think that's not necessarily true. I mean, I think we've looked in the at some of the commercial products and, you know, some of these plant-based bacon or, or plant-based uh, salmon products, they've got almost 0% protein in and they're just full of saturated fat and salt. So they're actually, you know, if you switched over to those, it'd be worse for your health. But that's not true of all the plant-based products. Some companies are really making a big effort to make them healthier. And part of my research is to try and, you know, make them nutritionally comparable with, um, you know, animal-based products so we don't have those nutritional um, drawbacks. What are the challenges in that? Yeah, I think, first of all, you've got to make sure that you get the right um, nutrient composition, so the right amount of proteins and omega-3 fatty acids and, you know, not have too much salt and sugar in there. Uh, and when you do that, that's going to affect the flavour and the texture. So you've got to try and, you know, use these healthful ingredients, but still create something that looks, tastes and feels good. Uh, and then, you know, like a lot of animals have certain kinds of micronutrients like vitamins and minerals that you don't find in plant-based foods. So in that case, you have to fortify the plant-based foods the, the texture aspect of this too, and you mentioned it earlier, the kind of mouthfeel of these things has been a bit of a challenge. I know, you know, things like chicken nuggets and burgers have been, have been, are out there and, and sort of uh, ground beef, but they're having a hard time, at least so far, with things like steak, right? Things that other people might buy more regularly if they were available. Yeah, well, I think they've got a very complicated structural architecture. If you actually look inside these products and see how they're different components, which are mainly proteins, are arranged into these very complex structures that it's very difficult to mimic using plant-based ingredients, which are completely different. So I think, again, that's a lot of the work we're doing now. We're trying to use like what's called soft matter physics or polymer, polymer physics concepts to try and redesign these foods so they, they've got structures and textures and mouthfeels which are more similar to you know, real animal products. It is, a, it is fascinating work, I assume, to try and figure that out. It must be, there must be a lot of hit and miss. It's it's incredibly complicated from a, like a polymer science point of view. I'm actually going to uh, MIT tomorrow to talk about this. And, uh, you know, just when you think about polymers, you know, they're complicated materials, but food polymers are, are like 10 times more complicated than any normal polymer that we have to deal with. There's so many different molecules and they're all organized into these really complex structures. So we really need like the best scientists in the world to be working on this if we're going to solve this problem and make these things more um, edible or desirable to the consumers. I never really thought of the plant-based burger as being such a feat of science, but I guess it is. Oh, it's incredibly complicated. Yeah, you need to you need to look at like the physics of light and optics, like how light waves bounce off it. You've got to look at all the the cloud of aroma molecules that come off and make sure that they're similar to meat products. You've got to make sure it breaks down in your mouth the same way when you put your teeth into it and you mix it with saliva. So it's incredibly complicated physics and chemistry and biology involved. So I would imagine we're just at the very beginnings of this then in some ways. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, just in the last five years, it's gone from very little research in this area to like lots and lots of different um, researchers around the world that are really focusing on this. And I think we're really starting to make important advances in, in understanding the material science behind these complex materials. And that's leading to better quality products. Because there is a sense that if the product itself is um, tastes good and uh, 
fills the need in the market that people, consumers would be, you know, they might not eat them all the time. Flexitarians, I guess is the word, but that people would look at a plant-based alternative at least now and then, and that would be important cutting down the impact of of um, of meat worldwide because demand is growing up and we just don't have the planet to grow, to, to produce it all on. Yeah, and I think it's a big theme in the COP27 meeting in Egypt this week is, uh, you know, one of the big themes is is global agriculture and, you know, that we really need to re- reduce the amount of meat we eat. So I, we don't all have to become vegetarians or vegans, but I think if everyone can reduce the amount of meat they eat or, or eggs and dairy products, we can have a really big impact on making the, you know, the world a, a better place and, and reducing global warming. What about uh, so? What are some of the challenges now? I mean, we talked a bit about some of the uh, the obviously the the, uh, the physical challenges of, the, of of actually producing a proper product. But when you look out at the market and so on, do you see any other challenges? I know this is not your field of expertise, but do you see any other challenges out there as well? Yeah, I mean, there's technical challenges like finding consistent ingredients, you know, and ice, being able to isolate them economically. Um, so that's one of the challenges. Like we, one of the biggest problems we have: you buy the same ingredient and it behaves differently every time you buy it. So it makes really. Sense. Right. How, how so? How so? Well, it's just like you know, say you want to get a soy protein. You know, it depends on you know what seed it was, where it was grown, what the climate right. was like, how it's been isolated, how it was transported and stored. So, you know, we we try and make the same product, but we get ten different ingredients and they all behave differently. So that's a real challenge for the food industry, who's trying yeah. to make a product that always looks and tastes the same at the end. Yeah, I guess consistency for them is job number one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think the nutritional aspects, that's really important. I think we don't want products on the market that are going to make you know people less healthy in the future. So I think it's really important that we design that into these products right right from the beginning. So I think we have much, we need to have more emphasis on that. Um, feel, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and I just think consumer perception is like, you know, really highlighting what the benefits from switching from an animal-based to plant-based diet. I mean, you can you can have really big uh, an impact on reducing greenhouse gases and biodiversity loss and pollution and things like that. What about, uh, I was also reading about sort of a lab, lab created meat, which is another sort of seen as, as a rival to plant-based. What, what impact might that have? Yeah, I think there's a, the lab grown meat. And then there's also like microbial meat, which is very similar in you use my, microbes like bacteria or um, fungi, to grow a meat-like product, which has got this, like high proteins and vitamins and minerals in it, or you can use, you know, like um, a chicken cell or a beef cell and grow it up in a fermentation tank like you would grow beer, uh, and then turn that into a burger or a, a chicken leg or something like that. It seems. I mean, when you talk about it, Julia, the thing about it is that you almost have to reimagine how what food is, and and that's difficult for us, I think. Yeah, and I've just finished writing a book on on this. I just submitted last week, and it's okay. uh, you know I was trying to think of the last chapter. What what's twenty fifty going to be like? You know, yeah. maybe maybe there's no meat anymore. You know, maybe we we have just eaten some protein rich food that's been grown in a big fermentation tank, and it could be anything. It could be like a purple triangle or a yellow sphere or a bright green square. But it tastes delicious and it's healthy for us. You know? Yeah, I think I've seen that movie at, at some point. <laughs> yeah. um, so what does is that what that's that's where you think we could be headed? I guess it, a lot of the problem here is, is is as you mentioned is both chemistry, but it's also perception, right? And you mentioned that as well. Yeah, I think that's one of the most exciting things as a scientist working in this area. Is it, it just encompasses so many different parts of the human experience. You know, going from basic physics and chemistry and molecules, but going to psychology and social science and 
culture and things like that. And there's, you know, meat and other animal products are so embedded in culture and we've all, we've all grown up eating them. But, you know, things things can change. Well, they're changing. Uh, Julian McClements, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much for having me.